Welcome to it. It's Husker Sports Weekly, your one-stop shop for all things Husker Sports. And we have episode number 52 for you this week. And we have some breaking news. Oklahoma and Texas have made it official. They are leaving the Big 12 Conference after issuing a statement to the Big 12 Conference that they will not renew their media rights, which expire in 2025. So we will dive deep into that story later in the episode. But before that, we will give a recap of Big Ten Media Days as all 14 coaches spoke at the podium and players from each school as well did the same. So we will discuss that and we will discuss the Big Ten going into football season and what to expect from each team this fall. But before we get into any of that, you should know who you're listening to. My name is Connor Clark alongside Grant Hansen. As always, you can find us on Twitter at C underscore Clark underscore 27 and at Hanson 15 underscore Hanson. And you can find our show on Spotify. Just search Husker Sports Weekly in the search bar. And we have a special guest joining us today. He's been on the show a couple of times before, and he is back to give even more great stuff surrounding the Big Ten Conference. It's Big Ten Network's own Rick Pizzo. Thanks so much for being here. Gentlemen, my pleasure. Episode 52, huh? That sounds like a, week, a year's worth of work. It, so it sure is. Impressive stuff. Well, thank you, and we, we really appreciate you being here, and we know you were at Big Ten Media Days, as obviously you were there, a part of Big Ten Network, so just your kind of reflection on those couple of days, um, what did you take away from the coaches and what they had to say, as well as the players? Yeah, before I get into the coaches and players, I will say that I think there was probably more talk at this media day than any other media day that I've ever attended regarding off-the-field issues. Name, image, and likeness, I feel like, really kind of dominated media days because it's such a fresh issue, because all the programs are trying to figure out exactly how to deal with it, how to educate their players, what the unintended consequences are. And then the next topic uh, was college football playoff expansion, which obviously was asked of not just every coach, but also Commissioner Kevin Warren. So there are a lot of off-the-field topics more than any other media days that I've ever covered. As far as the coaches are concerned, I think in talking with a lot of coaches, you can't glean too much into what they say because coaches basically have one of two different philosophies heading into media day. There are some who will go in and say, I feel really good about where we are. We're very strong. Obviously, we have to get it dialed in. And then there are other coaches who are like, man, we have so many questions. They don't want to kind of shed any light on their team. I'm not sure where we are. You know, we're going to wait until week one. So, yeah, I think you have to take everything that you hear at media days with a grain of salt. But I think if there was one encompassing theme, it was that the focus this year was off the field more so than on the field. All right. Now, Rick, you talked a lot about name, image, and likeness. And one of the quotes that we really looked back on last week and last week's episode that stuck out was Pat Fitzgerald of Northwestern really saying, like, man, like, when you look at name, image, and likeness, all these coaches are kind of saying the same thing. And he got a pretty big chuckle out of it. Uh, and saying like, hey, really, nobody really knows what we're doing with this yet. Nobody is really better off than anyone else. And I, and I would say to a certain extent, he's right. But I could make the argument that Nebraska still is set up more than the rest of the Big Ten in that way. Is that true? Or, is, or do you lean towards Pat's, Pat Fitzgerald, who says, hey, nobody really is better set up than anyone else at this point? No, I, I don't think that's true. I think that there are going to be programs who are going to be better set up. There are going to be programs that ultimately will be able to use it more as a recruiting tool than other programs. Uh, I think programs like Nebraska, like Ohio State, where you are the only show in town and you have historic fan bases that want 
to have everything that they can potentially do with the program, of course, I think there's going to be a market there. But the counter to that is if you are near a major city like Northwestern or Minnesota, Minnesota is not just near the Twin Cities, but there are so many Fortune 500 companies around Minneapolis and St. Paul that folks maybe don't pay that much attention to now, but those companies can come in. And this isn't just football. I know we focused on football, but you look at a school like Iowa and the passion that that fan base has for wrestlers and the amount of money that some of the star wrestlers could make using name, image, and likeness. So I think that Fitz is right on one hand in that we aren't sure how this is going to play out, but I'm not so sure that I agree with him when he says that there will not be an advantage one way or the other because I certainly think some schools will be able to take more advantage of NIL than others. Yeah, we've we've mentioned that a couple of times um, on our show, just Nebraska being set up for a lot of success. They can use leverage in recruiting when it comes to that because, as you mentioned, Rick, they're the only show in town. Scott Frost said the same thing at Media Days. So with a, a fan base with that much passion outside of football as well, you look at volleyball, you look at, look at baseball this past year, there's a lot of leverage that Nebraska could be using with NIL in the fall. And to kick off a couple of football questions here for you, Rick. So we saw teams such as Michigan, Minnesota, and Penn State all uncharacteristically struggle last year. There were a lot of high hopes for all three of those teams, and it leaves a lot of questions. Okay, was it just COVID-related, or are they actually struggling? And what what can we expect from them from uh, in 2021? So I'm just curious to get your thoughts on Michigan, Minnesota, Penn State in specific. But was that kind of a COVID thing, or do you expect them to be back where they were? Well, I'll address Minnesota first, because I think of those three schools, Minnesota has the opportunity to make the biggest change from a positive standpoint this year. They return almost everyone that was really important to that team from a year ago, with the exception of, obviously, All-American receiver Rashad Bateman. But Bateman wasn't all-in last year. You recall, he, he originally said he wasn't going to play, then he decided to come back, and then kind of said goodbye before the year really came to a close. And Minnesota was beaten up by the virus as much as any team in the Big Ten and close to as many teams in the country. So I think that Minnesota has a great opportunity this year to really turn things around. Michigan is always going to be a fascinating story. I still wonder about the marriage of offensive coordinator Josh Gaddis, who I think is a brilliant mind, but is the new style OC and the old style head coaching of Jim Harbaugh. We saw that mix not go so well last year. And yes, you give a little bit of a pass because of COVID, but still, I think that folks are not just waiting to see Michigan beat Ohio State or get back to the Big Ten Championship, but be an explosive and exciting brand of football along with that. And as for Penn State, Penn State was much like Minnesota last year. Their best pass catcher, Pat Fryermuth, is a guy who started, stopped, started, and then stopped again before the year was out. Now he's off to the NFL. They had some quarterback questions and some back and forth. I think Penn State bounces back a little bit this year, but it's never easy in the East when you have to face Michigan and you have to face Ohio State. Penn State has a really tough crossover in Wisconsin to start the conference season. So I think of those three teams all have the opportunity to bounce back. I think on the surface, Minnesota looks poised to make the biggest of the bounce backs. You know, Rick, when you talk about Nebraska fans who are probably the most engaged on Thursday, probably didn't watch as much on Friday, What's something that could apply to Nebraska or would be a very interesting Big Ten note that came out of Friday's round of coaches and players? 
You know, I thought it was I thought it was funny, Grant, because right now we're in the era of slogans and catchphrases, whether it's Tom Allen and the LEO love each other at Indiana or PJ Fleck and the row the boat at Minnesota. And someone asked Scott, Do you have a mantra or a catchphrase or a slogan that you will use for your team this year? And Scott obviously as he most often does answered in a deadpan manner and said, no, if I need a slogan or if I need a a trademark catchphrase to motivate my guys, then I'm recruiting the wrong guys. And Scott's been very clear about the fact that this coming year, 2021, his first senior class, a full recruiting cycle was the year that he believed he and his program should be measured by the other players who were there when he arrived 99.9% of them are gone. And so now this is his football team. And so to me, if this is his football team and he believes he's recruited the right guys and he and his staff have done a very nice job on the recruiting trail, then this is the year that I have been pointing out since he was hired. And I think this is the year that he believes that this is the year that Nebraska has to show consistent improvement on both sides of the football. And we go back to previewing the fall and We've seen a couple of surprise teams here. I mean, we saw Northwestern last year bounce back from a 3-9 and nine season the year prior. So my question to you is, Rick, which team has kind of the best potential to be a surprise team in the Big Ten? And um, who, who can really make a run at a division title that we really aren't expecting at this point in time? Yeah, I mentioned Minnesota, and I don't think that they would be a surprise because I think that anybody who follows that program and follows the Big Ten and specifically the West understands what happened last year and what they have coming back in Tanner Morgan and Mo Ibrahim, the Big Ten running back of the year from a year ago. I don't think that Iowa or Wisconsin would surprise anybody in the West. I think one of the more fascinating stories, and I'm not sure if they're going to be ready to contend, but I think they'll beat one or two opponents that they shouldn't, and that's Illinois. Because Brett Bielema returns as many super seniors. These are guys whose eligibility should have ended last year but got the extra year because of COVID. I believe the number is 18 of those guys are back this year. And one of the most important marriages, if you are a first-year head coach, is to have experience in a locker room when you get there. And Brett Bielema has a ton of that. He has never lacked confidence. He'll bring a ton of belief to Champaign. And he is going to play mistake-free football. That's going to be his goal. You run the football between the tackles. You take the air out of it a little. You make sure the clock runs down. You play good, solid defense. Jake Hansen, outstanding linebacker, returns for Illinois. I'm not sure that Illinois has enough to contend, Connor, but I really think that you should not be surprised if they knock off one, two, maybe even three opponents that they are underdogs against throughout the course of the regular season. One of the things that really struck a lot of the local media from Big Ten Media Days was Trev Alberts. And first, I'd like to get your take on the hire for Nebraska in general from your perspective, Rick. And if you did get to see or uh, talk to Trev this last weekend, what your thoughts were? Because a lot of the local media was pretty impressed with his performance and even potentially more importantly, how much he and Scott Frost were kind of on the same page. Yeah, well, I mean, they obviously have the same backgrounds, right? So uh, I think that meant a lot in terms of that hire. Scott thought the world of Bill Moose and vice versa. But I think with Trev, you have someone who you share a common thought process with, a guy who understood what this proud program once was and believes it can be again. And that's obviously what Scott believes as well. Otherwise, he wouldn't have taken the job. I did not get to speak to Trev directly. I did see a lot of his comments Uh, and read a lot of what was written after he made those comments. He is an impressive man. There's no question about that. 
But at the end of the day, listen, all athletic directors are judged by one thing, the wins and losses of your programs. And, and it's not just football. He didn't hire Scott, but he will be somewhat judged by those numbers. He didn't hire Fred Hoiberg, but he will be somewhat judged by those numbers. And the same thing trickles down to the other Olympic sports, as you mentioned earlier, the importance of sports at Nebraska, like volleyball, like baseball, which had such an outstanding 2021. Can that success continue? So, yes, I think he's on the same page with Scott because they have the same background, but ultimately he will be judged by wins and losses on the football field, on the basketball court, and on the other playing fields. Questions about two divisional rivals for Nebraska now. Obviously, Iowa, the big one. Have Nebraska's had a lot of issues with them over the past six years, and Northwestern is a name that comes to mind as well. They have the lowest percentage of production returning. I know that was a big talking point at Big Ten Media Day. So, I mean, kind of question 1A, does Iowa win the West this year, considering they won six straight to finish out the year last year? And B, how's Northwestern going to look this year, and what is that game versus Nebraska going to look like with only – 39% of their production, I believe, returning for 2021. I mean, listen, we're going to know a lot about Iowa right off the jump. They open up against Indiana, a team that was terrific last year. It's at home. Iowa returns a bunch of important players offensively. I think Tyler Goodson can have a huge year. You'll miss the explosiveness of Amir Smith-Marset and Davion Nixon had such a great year last year on the defensive line. But I do think that this is a team in Iowa that is going to be as dangerous as they are every year. Nobody looks past the Hawkeyes ever. And Iowa always seems to get better late in the year, which is not obviously good news if you're playing them in November, as Nebraska traditionally does this year on November 26 on Big Ten Network the day after Thanksgiving. So, listen, that's always going to be a battle. And, yes, I think Iowa will be in contention in the West. I think Northwestern is going to have a really tough time. Uh, I do. I mean, I think Pat Fitzgerald is a tremendous football coach. I think what they did last year was an absolutely amazing story. Winning the Big Ten West now in two of the last three years because they also got there in 2018. But when you look at what they lost, man, it, it is tough to replace guys like Peyton Ramsey, who was the leader under center, Greg Newsom who was one of two first-round picks. Yes, you have Cam Porterback and Brandon Joseph back, but everybody is going to be focusing on stopping that run, Cam Porter, when we saw what he did late in the year, saw what he did against Ohio State. And there are all sorts of quarterback questions. They're not sure who the guy is. Is it the transfer, Ryan Holinsky, who appears to have the upper hand right now? Can Hunter Johnson actually make something of a career that we think is kind of lost? I just think there are so many questions right now for Northwestern. Nothing surprises me with the Wildcats because that's what Pat Fitzgerald has done. But they open up against Michigan State, which I think is a winnable game. Then they have Indiana State, Duke, and Ohio to start the year. So you could be looking at a 4-0 Northwestern team that faces Nebraska on October 2nd. But the funny thing is, Connor, I don't think we would know a lot more about Northwestern by October 2nd than we do right now. You know, one of the other more humorous moments especially during day one of Big Ten Media Days, was Mike Loxley coming up and saying he feels like he's getting hazed because he has to go behind P.J. Fleck every time. And, you know, one of the interesting things, Loxley didn't even get to take a question from the media, but he's at the helm of one of the teams in the Big Ten that could make a surprise push. Of course, Maryland really wasn't on anyone's radar at all last year until they took down Minnesota, and they didn't really finish the year the way many people would have liked, but... What do the Terrapins bring to the table 
here in 2021-22? Well, I think it really depends on the improvement and the jump that Talia Tungabailoa can make a quarterback. Uh, Loxley is an offensive genius. He's a terrific play caller. He's a guy who really knows how to manipulate opposing defenses. But to do that, your best player has to make plays. And Tungabailoa made a ton of plays last year, but he also made a ton of mistakes. And that can't happen this year. You can't throw the same number of picks, seven, as you throw touchdowns a year ago. You have to, that number has to be two to one for Maryland to have success. And listen, they open against a non-conference opponent in West Virginia that is always going to be dangerous. Uh, West Virginia comes off a six-win season last year in just 10 games. And then it's only two weeks later that Maryland goes on the road to play Illinois in early starts of the conference season. So we'll know a lot about Maryland by September the 17th, but I think it does. This is one of those teams where if you are going to be based on offense, and I think this team is going to win or lose based on offense, you need your best player on that side of the ball, especially when he's the man in center to play well, and their fortune this year will rest with the play of Talia Tungabailoa. Now, Rick, you think back to two years ago, uh, and that's really how long it's been since there's been a Big Ten media days for you guys. Was it surreal being back? Uh, talk a little bit about that. And then, uh, you know, personally, I kind of like the whole, it starts in Indy, it finishes in Indy. Do you like the location? Uh, and what do you think the future is for the, on that side? Do you, do you like it moving to Indianapolis? Yeah, that was the most surreal part of Media Days was that for the first 12 years that I had covered Media Days, I had gotten in my car the morning of Media Days and driven to a hotel in the Chicago area. And we had interviewed the coaches, and there were some changes. It went from a one-day event to a two-day event when it expanded to 14 teams and the moving around of the luncheon and some different intricacies. But for the first time, it was outside of Chicago and in Indianapolis, and it almost felt like a somewhat scaled-down version of Super Bowl media day or a major bowl media day inside the stadium, stations for the players to sit individually and chat, the coaches to have the opportunity to address a very big crowd for all the restrictions that were still going on at that point. So I thought it looked terrific from a conference standpoint. Obviously, had a great opportunity for a lot more branding and the opportunity to use the space that Lucas Oil Stadium provides. Uh, next year would be the 50th anniversary, I believe, of the famous Media Day luncheon. So I'm not sure if tradition kind of wins out over the new look. But I did think that Indianapolis, as Indianapolis always does for big-time Big Ten event, they rolled out the red carpet and they did it extremely well. Now, one last question for you, Rick, and we're going to wrap it up with a little bit of a Nebraska football preview here. Obviously, the schedule not doing Scott Frost any favors in year four. Uh, I mean, you're hosting a lot of Big Ten games. You host Northwestern, you host Michigan, Purdue, Ohio State, and Iowa. You visit Wisconsin, you visit Minnesota, and obviously the big one, you visit Oklahoma, which is uh, in the non-con, and to open up the year at Illinois. So what can we expect to see from the Cornhuskers this year? A very tough schedule. A lot of people are going to want Scott Frost either on the flaming hot seat or even gone if Nebraska fails to make a bowl game this year. So what are your thoughts on the Huskers, and how can they get through this schedule uh, with some positivity and, and some success? Yeah, I think basically what has to happen to me for Nebraska is you have to have all these returners on defense play well and step up. Uh, I mean, Deontay Williams and Markel Dispute, these guys are now seniors on the backside. And 
these are guys that should be able to shut people down. And I know DiCaprio Boodle was a, was a lockdown corner, but you have enough experience and talent in that backside to, I think, make a difference. I mean, Ben Stilley was an honorable mention all Big Ten selection last year. He comes back as a senior after, you know, five sack season in 2018. Hasn't quite had that production. Can he get back to that level? All that's important defensively. But, guys, listen, Scott Frost is an offensive coach first and foremost. He didn't win all those games at UCF by playing lockdown defense. He won them by having an explosive offense that other defenses simply couldn't catch up to. Now, that's not been the case inside the Big Ten because your opposing defenses are more physical, because they're faster, because Adrian Martinez hasn't had the time that quarterbacks at UCF had. So the offensive line is good enough to get it done. My question is, even if Martinez is having a good year, who are those explosive complementary pieces? I don't think enough has been made, at least outside of Lincoln. Maybe it has inside of Lincoln. The departure of Wandale Robinson and what that means, you always had a guy there who you could use as a running back, as a receiver, as a slot guy to confuse and threaten defenses. I'm not sure who that player is. I think Austin Allen is one of the top returning tight ends in the Big Ten, but that's not a player that is going to keep defensive coordinators up at night. Who is going to be that player? Are they going to have someone emerge that takes a little bit of the pressure and the burden off Adrian Martinez? Because as much as I like him, I think one of the biggest issues after that outstanding freshman season was he has not dealt with the extra pressure and expectations as well as we thought. He needs someone to help with that. If they can find that player, then I think Nebraska could be okay. But you mentioned it. It is hard to start in week zero against Illinois. Buffalo is no pushover in the non-conference. Certainly Oklahoma is very difficult. And then you stay on the road the next week. So I think by, what, September 25th, after that road trip to East Lansing, we reassess and see where Nebraska's at because this is a start that you take that Fordham game out of there, and this is a really, really difficult five-week litmus test for Scott Frost and the Huskers to open 2021. It'll be a difficult season nonetheless for Scott Frost in the fall. Lots of questions will be answered in about five weeks when Week Zero is upon us, Nebraska, at Illinois on Fox Rick, we thank you so much for joining us once again. Give us some great stuff, and be sure to check him out on the Big Ten Network throughout the fall and winter for football and basketball coverage. Once again, thanks so much for joining us, Rick. We hope to talk to you soon. All right, gentlemen, my my, uh, my absolute pleasure. Enjoy the start of football season. Can't get here soon enough. Thanks. Thanks, Rick. That was Rick Pizzo on Husker Sports Weekly. So glad to have him on for a third time giving some great stuff on the Big Ten Conference as we inch closer to football season. We're recording this on a Monday, July 26th, so a little bit early in the week, uh, according to the Husker website. 32 days, 21 hours, 6 minutes, and 25 seconds until the kickoff at Illinois if we want to get it down to a T. But um, as Rick just said, a really tough schedule for Nebraska. You take Fordham out of that five-week stretch to begin the year. I mean, that's just, I mean, murder on a football schedule yes. and, and I know Grant and I feel very similar about that and it's going to be a tough fall but we can keep dissecting the schedule as we get even closer to football and kind of go through some storylines that we think um, go around in the Big Ten actually we can start with that and one thing that I was very surprised that Rick Pizzo had to say was Illinois as a team that could surprise many people could mm -hmm. beat a couple of teams that they aren't supposed to beat um, and as a Husker fan, you don't want to hear that because you're playing them week zero, but a very surprising thought there, Grant. What did you think of that statement from Rick? Yeah, yeah, I thought that was really interesting to hear. And 
you know, like, I, I think it'll be a huge challenge for Nebraska in the first week. Again, you're playing in week zero. You get started a lot earlier. Um, so, yeah, that I, I think that'll be very interesting. And, again, you, you know, I didn't really consider until Rick, you know, just kind of ran through it there, the amount of challenge that Nebraska is going to experience in those first five weeks. And, you know, it does certainly help Nebraska. I, I think maybe we might, and it depends on how we look back at different things, but it might be the biggest break for the Huskers of the season um, that Buffalo lost their head coach. Like uh, having to replace that is might be might be the saving grace for Nebraska. It depends on how we'll see it, but yeah, it, it, it's definitely brutal. I mean, Mel Tucker's program is not a pushover, and again, you know, we talk about Minnesota. Uh, who again we both had as a flip flop, uh, either way kind of game that is at Minnesota, and man, I am moving that one closer and closer to sixty to seventy percent loss. Uh, so yeah, it, it's brutal. We knew it was brutal, and Illinois isn't going to make it any easier on Nebraska in the first week. Yeah, I agree. I think what Rick had to say about Minnesota heading into this season kind of flipped my mind over to more of a loss as well. Um, as Grant said, I know we had it more of a, a 50-50 game uh, just a couple of weeks ago. But, I mean, they are returning a lot of good talent. And they're they're one of those teams that I mentioned in one of those questions that, I mean, how are they going to be this year? We saw Michigan, Minnesota, and Penn State really struggle last year. Michigan and Minnesota was a primetime game on ESPN in week one of the college football season for the Big Ten, at least. And both teams were ranked. So a lot of questions. Another question that... We didn't get to with Rick, but um, how is Indiana going to be? I mean, are was that just kind of a fluke with COVID with everybody else dealing with it? Or are they for real? Is Tom Allen for real? I think personally that he could be. Um, but that first week matchup with Iowa is going to be super interesting and have a big time Big Ten championship implications in that one. Yeah, no, I definitely agree. And I'm again excited for the Big Ten. Like, you know, obviously, like some parts of college sports suck, and that, like, okay, obviously, like, other than Ohio State, probably nobody is going to make it. Now, we've seen Michigan State make the college football playoff once. We've seen Iowa nearly make the college football playoff. Um, so it's definitely possible that teams other than Ohio State can make the playoff from the Big Ten, but, you know, generally, it's not, uh, it's not been something that's generally happened. And on the, but yet, like, the Big Ten regular season is still incredibly entertaining, and obviously, you know, other than Ohio State, uh, Indiana is probably the team that most people think from the Big Ten could find a way into the playoff. But I, I mean, depending on how Penn State recruits, Penn State could make a move in the in the near future, maybe even this year, and Minnesota could bounce back. I mean, again, they were a double-digit victory team just two years ago, and they were decimated by COVID, and so. You know, P.J. Fleck is always dangerous. He always has his team motivated. So, again, like, there's some interesting storylines in this Big Ten, despite the fact that, you know, as many people portray it as Ohio State is going to go to the playoff and nothing else really matters. There's still some really interesting pieces that are moving around. Yeah, I agree. I think you can make a couple of cases for a couple of teams. You mentioned Indiana. They could could make a, a push. Um, obviously they have to beat Ohio State in their own division to make it to the Big Ten Championship. You look at Penn State, seen a lot of projections early on that they're a 10-win team in the East. They bounce back from a, a rough 2020. Um, and then you look at Iowa, and obviously you 
You look at Wisconsin as well. Iowa won six straight to finish the year after losing two in a row. Now, as Rick mentioned, they lose Smith-Marset and a couple of other key pieces. But you know Paul Chris is going to do his thing up in Wisconsin. I mean, they're a ground-and-pound team, and that's worked for years with them. And they were a team that was very close to knocking off Ohio State, a team that many thought they were just going to walk right to the college football playoff championship. But they almost beat them in 2019 in the Big Ten championship game. And, uh, I mean, there's a handful of teams. You mentioned Minnesota, just a double-digit a double team a double-digit win team, rather, just two years ago. You look at Michigan, are they going to bounce back? You could really broaden the horizon here. And if you look at Nebraska's schedule, you play Oklahoma, you play Minnesota, you play Ohio State, you play Wisconsin, and you play Iowa. Those are all teams I just mentioned in the college football playoff conversation, uh, which doesn't make me feel any better about <laughs> the, the upcoming season. But um, we can dive into this schedule just a little bit more here. I know we've done it before, but as football gets closer, opinions have changed. Yeah, and you know, one thing that was really interesting to me, especially on that last question from Rick, was that he didn't mention Omar Manning or Samori Tori. And, you know, Rick is really engaged with the Big Ten, and so that means one of two things to me. Either one, those two are not widely recognized by the rest of the Big Ten as a threat currently, and they're not being as talked about as much as they are here, or B, they really aren't that much of a factor for people. Like, truly, as a bad thing for Nebraska, they aren't a factor in many people's minds. So that thing was really interesting to me, especially when they were talking about Adrian needing some sort of safety blanket. And I think, offensively, especially with the backfield kind of very muddy at this point, there's not really one guy who has really um, come out above the rest. Uh, it really falls to those two guys, Manning or Torrey, to uh, make a difference to be that Wandale Robinson replacement. Because Rick is right. Like, as far as outside of Lincoln, like people aren't really talking about Wandale anymore in Lincoln as a major loss and as an issue. And it certainly is one. Yeah, Wandale obviously is a huge loss for this Husker team. And I think Omar Manning isn't really looked at as a threat across the Big Ten because we heard a lot about him last offseason. We didn't even see him on the field. We saw him on the field for yes. one game, which was against yes. Northwestern. And Samari Toure is coming from a group of five school, or an FCS school, rather. Um, so you don't really know how his game is going to translate to the Big Ten. Obviously, defenses are bigger and better and faster, uh, kind of like how Rick said with Scott Frost's offensive philosophy. So I think that's why they're not really widely looked at as big offensive weapons for this Nebraska team. I think we'll find out pretty quickly if they are or not, um, especially with that Illinois Week Zero game. And we'll probably know by Michigan State, I would imagine, how impactful those two are going to be. Um, and as well as the running back room. How's the running back room going to help out this offense? And we'll probably know that by September 25th, which is that Michigan State game, which is going to be a very important game. I mean, if you're Nebraska, you are almost, like, the first three games are almost must-wins going to Oklahoma. Mm -hmm. You can pretty much sharpie in Oklahoma as a loss. Um, but then you go to Michigan State, I think you have to be 3-1, and one, and we'll really know how effective these offensive pieces are. We kind of know what to expect from the defense. We expect it's going to be good. Lots of returning talent, as Rick said, but... I I mean, the, the, the first five games as a stretch is extremely difficult and you need to know what you have by week four or five and you need to have probably three wins by week five yeah and, and 
you know, to finish the point on Tory and Manning, like it's deservedly so that they aren't being mentioned um, by the likes of, you know, a Rick Pizzo or somebody on, from a more national level. Uh, you know, obviously it's not like something that's like Rick's fault or anything. I mean, those guys, you know, it falls very much in the same category uh, as Nebraska and Coach Scott Frost saying, hey, we're okay with being picked fifth. Uh, I don't know if okay with it is the right word, but that's where we deserve to be, right? And And so in some ways, Manning doesn't deserve to be talked about just yet. And he can really change that very quickly. And the same is true for Tory. But both those guys kind of fall in that category where they, they don't necessarily deserve to be talked about or looked at just yet. Um, but they, the buzz, I thought that was very interesting to think about. Hey, look, like nationally, the buzz about Nebraska losing Wandale Robinson is pretty big. Not so much in Lincoln. And then vice versa with Tory and Manning. The buzz around those two is kind of big in, around the Lincoln area in Nebraska. But nationally, not so much. Well, I think why that is, is the Nebraska fan base, including myself, is, I mean, Wandale transferred, it's done, it's over with, we have to move on and look at what we have here on this roster. Who is going to be the closest thing to a quote-unquote replacement for Wandale Robinson? And who's going to step up and make Adrian Martinez's job a little bit easier at quarterback? Something that he's struggled with the past couple of years. So we want to see that freshman Adrian Martinez, and we don't know if we'll ever get that again, but I think Adrian is set up for a good year this year. I think he'll have a pretty good year. We saw him be very fast in the spring game. I think he, he definitely gained some speed. Um, is super athletic, as Scott Frost has said many times, but I think the reason why the topic of Wandale Robinson is so irrelevant, for lack of a better term, in Lincoln is that we need to move on. We need to assess the situation, look at our offensive roster. Who do we have to kind of fulfill this role or help Adrian out on offense beside, other than sulking over the loss of our best player to the transfer portal, which he left by good reason too. So I feel like nobody's really showing any resentment towards him if it was for kind of a, a, a dumb reason or if he just had some beef with Nebraska. I feel like that would be a much bigger topic. But the fact that he left to go home and be around family, I feel like that's a much more understandable reason and I think that makes it a lot easier for people to move on from that. Yeah, I agree 100%. So we can move on to our final topic of the day. We got breaking news earlier today that Oklahoma and Texas have made it officially official. They are leaving the Big 12 to go to the SEC. They informed the Big 12 conference that they are not going to renew their media rights with the conference in 2025. So, two new teams added to the SEC, not obviously right away, but Texas and Oklahoma with the SEC logo next to them. Get used to it. We're going to be seeing it a lot. Um, your thoughts, Grant? I know we talked about this last episode, but now that it's really real, uh, what does this mean for college football to you? Yeah, it means it means there are some huge changes coming. And so, I mean, I'm kind of fascinated by this move in many ways. And I'm also fascinated at how Nebraska looks at it from the other side. You know, I was, uh, granted, I was part of the group uh, in last fall that kind of reminisced about the good old days, in quotes, uh, in the Big 12. And, you know, I, I, I honestly, looking back, you know, it is kind of, it is disappointing. Like, there are some things that I still stick to with the academic side and how that fits Nebraska. But the thing is, when Texas and Oklahoma leave, the Big 12 is dead, um, in my opinion. And so, you know, the conference is either going to collapse or it is never going to be the same. It is going to be the worst, undoubtedly, in the Power Five, if that comes to be. And so, 
you know, it's fascinating. The whole thing is fascinating. And again, like seeing over and over and over again, as a younger person who really hasn't thought of much about Nebraska in anything but the Big Ten, to see how people who are older than me uh, and who remember the Big 8 and the Big 12 because they were there look at this and look at Texas specifically, not so much Oklahoma, uh, that that also has been very fascinating. Again, on the other side of things, just from my perspective on Texas, I'm still confused at how they think things are going to get better in the SEC. I, I Again, like they have a stranglehold on the finances in the Big 12, and I get it, like, okay, maybe a lot of people are going to characterize it from a recruiting standpoint, right? Like, Texas can't say, well, we're part of the best conference in college football when they try to recruit. But the thing is, Nebraska has one fewer win since between 2011 and 2019 than Texas. Texas had 66, Nebraska had 65. So, like, Texas has not been great as of late. And so, you know, maybe they'll prove me wrong and go to the SEC and dominate. But I don't think that's going to happen. I mean, I think at best they are a mid-tier team in the SEC, and I don't really know if that changes things for them on the recruiting side. Maybe it does. Maybe it doesn't. And, you know, I think for college football it might be better that Texas be good again. Um, but I don't know if this move helps gets it done. And I'll finish this, especially with the perspective on brand, uh, from, you know, uh, our professor, the great John Trader uh, from UNL, a tweet he released a couple of minutes ago. Um, saying, imagine how scary Texas would be if they actually had national championship quality programs in football and basketball. And that's really true. You know, the the brand they have right now is very, very extensive. Imagine if they were actually good, specifically in football. They've been good lately in basketball. But imagine if they were really, truly good in both of those sports. Well, yeah, and I, I'm still kind of having trouble swallowing the pill that why Texas is going to the SEC. I mean, they, is you you sent me that tweet earlier today about the 2011 to 2019 wins between Nebraska and Texas, and this is a move that's going to hurt Texas at least in football basketball. I think they'll be all right because the Big 12 was very good at basketball this past year. Texas was towards the top of the standings there, so I think they'll be just fine there as well as Oklahoma. But I don't think Texas is set up very well success wise for football. Um, I think they're going to have a hard time. They'll probably finish towards the bottom half of the conference. And even Oklahoma, I mean, they might even finish third, fourth, even fifth in this conference. Um, as you mentioned, it could be used as a recruiting tool. Hey, we're a part of the best conference in college football. Come join us, come play in front of thousands and millions of people watching on TV. But when it comes to a success standpoint, and you, you mentioned that tweet from, from our professor, John Schrader, and you could... Honestly, you could probably say the same thing about Nebraska. And I know Nebraska isn't <clears throat> jumping ship and leaving conference, but you look at the brand that Scott Frost has with this program, and he kind of was a part of the start of it too back in the 90s. And if Nebraska was a 10-win team year in and year out, can you imagine the amount of traction the national media would be giving Nebraska? And it goes with the same thing with Texas. I mean, Texas still gets a little bit more national media than Nebraska does, but Year in and year out, Texas is over or underwhelmingly performing. Uh, they're losing to Oklahoma. I know they, they won a, a shootout a couple of years ago. But they are a team that has not had the, had the success that they envision. They're not having the success the rest of the country thinks they're going to have. Um, and it's just very underwhelming, and I don't know how this move is going to pan out. 
uh, for the long yeah. runs. Well, and we've both got a friend who's in the the branding slash creative side for college football. Um, and he's kind of, I think he's semi-biased, in my opinion, towards Texas. Um, and he wants to see Texas succeed, which, again, I, I come back to like, all right, I mean, if Texas is good, there's a villain in college football, at least from my perspective. So I think that's kind of good. I mean, there's already Alabama, but, you know. Um, but I, I think, again, like to come back to what I was saying earlier about some of these, the, you know, the people who are older, who have seen the Big 12 or the Big 8, saw the fall-ish of the Big 8 in the first fall uh, when Nebraska left the Big 12. This is a piece, this is just a byline for a piece um, by Dirk Chatlin from the World Herald, who's been a guest on this program once before. Uh, and he said, the byline is this, you reap what you sow, Texas, and you're running out of people to blame. Enjoy the SEC, your mediocrity won't be forgiven there. And I, I think that statement's true. Uh, because if, if SEC, if Texas goes to the SEC and doesn't succeed, I, I just, I don't know how they come back from that um, to, to, you know, to greatness, to, to any level of um, success along, along the lines of what they produced in the early 2000s um and you know obviously that can seem hypocritical coming from someone who's a nebraska fan but here's the thing nebraska didn't jump ship from the big 12 to the big 10 um you know they didn't jump from a conference that had won a majority of the last you know titles in the last 20 years you know it like the, the jump is not the same in my opinion from texas going from the big 12 to the sec uh, for Nebraska, you know, for Nebraska, from the Big Twelve to the Big Ten, it's just not the same. So it'll be interesting, but the pressure's on Texas because you know you've really basically called your shot, and now it's time to sink it. Yeah, I mean they gotta step up and sink the putt. I mean it's it's a big move, and we'll see how this affects the Big Ten going forward. I know there's been a lot of talks about Kansas and Iowa State being the new additions. Will there be the Power Four now? Uh, will there be one mega conference soon? So we'll have to see how that develops. It'll be very interesting because that'll be a topic throughout the season that that I know we will be talking about. Kansas has already reached out to the Big Ten about joining. Um, so we will see. And I believe Ohio, Iowa State has too. Yeah, I think you're right on that as well. So we will see how the Big Ten gets affected with all this conference realignment. It's very interesting. This will be a very interesting football season with that added storyline to go on top of everything else past COVID and all of that good stuff. But that will do it for us on episode number 52 of Husker Sports Weekly. We had Rick Pizzo from Big Ten Network on. He gave some great stuff about Big Ten media days and Big Ten football coming up this fall. And we also talked about Oklahoma and Texas making it official. They are leaving the Big 12 Conference. So thanks so much for tuning in. This is a kind of a episode earlier in the week, but uh, we had to get it out due to, um, you know, breaking news and availability times. But we appreciate you tuning in. Once again, you can find us on Twitter at C underscore Clark underscore 27 and at Hanson 15 underscore Hanson. You can find our podcast page on Twitter at Husker Weekly and find our podcast on Spotify. Just search Husker Sports Weekly in the search bar. So once again, we thank so much for you tuning in to episode number 50, and we'll be back next week with more Husker content. Thanks so much, and go Big Red.